welcome to the Virtual Band Director Conference. This is a 24-7 resource for you, band directors all over the world. I'm your host, John Liner. Let's get this party started. Welcome to Episode 4, Beginner Flute Pedagogy with Helen Blackburn. Thanks for coming, everybody, and thanks to John for getting this organized. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself so you don't think I'm one of those um, college professors who just sits up in my ivory tower, you know, casting casting shade on everybody. So I grew up in, in Dalhart, Texas, which is a little 5,000 population town up way out in the middle of nowhere in the panhandle of Texas. Um, and I had an amazing, well, I we started band in fifth grade. I had just moved there in fourth grade from a littler town in Utah, but um, we had this amazing Pied Piper band director named Jack King. Not J.W. King, but Jack King. Um, and the year I, I went into fifth grade, that's when they started band. It was all band. like, And there was one band director, but when I moved into fifth grade, they got their first assistant band director ever. So it, it was new times, you know, but everybody wanted to be in band because Mr. King was Pied Piper. He's still, he's like my second dad. I'm, I'm still in touch with him, see him all the time, and that's how band directors are, right? Anyway, so I... Um, we, I know what it's like to start out where all it's all the band, all the kids, one band, one group meeting on the stage in the elementary school at one time. And uh, we learned the best thing was we learned how to count because we had to learn how to count because nobody had instruments. Or if we did, they all sucked and had to get, get kind of fixed because we bought them through the want ads, you know. And um, so we had a month or two before we even had instruments in our hand. And thank goodness they taught us how to count. And up in the panel of Texas, John and I were just talking about there, there is this lineage of amazing old band directors, and and we benefited from it. Um, we Dalhart was a school that started out as a it was a trial school for the learning the Eastman counting system. So I learned the Eastman counting system in fifth and sixth grade. Then my sister came along two years later, and we were they didn't do the trial system anymore, so she didn't learn how to count or something. Anyway, but so I I grew up out in the middle of nowhere, no private teacher. I just loved to play the flute, and I had these amazing band directors who just kept they must have gone to all their friends and said, I have this kid that really loves the flute. Now what do we need to teach her? So they taught me three fingerings for B flat and they, you know, and I remember the moment that Mr. Houston taught me thumb B flat, life changing, you know, but, um, but I also learned practically every bad habit that is possible on the flute. Um, because when you don't have private teachers and you only have two people doing everything from fifth grade to 12th grade, there's only so much they can do, you know, they get, but the best thing was that Mr. King told my mom and dad that I needed flute lessons, but it took until I got into 10th grade for us to find somebody Uh, my mom of course she was really smart she's a veterinarian and she called the college that was 105 miles away that was WT and said my little 6th grader is really good at the flute and she needs flute lessons and Dr. Garner's like I can't teach any you know I'm, I'm too busy so um, eventually, in 10th grade, I, I ended up taking with Brad Garner, which was great, and he had to break all of my bad habits, except that I could already count really well, and, you know, and I had gone through a whole bunch of, like, the Rubank Method books and Wagner Foundation of Flute Playing and, and taught myself a lot, but... Then I ended up going to WT and and started out 
doing music ed and music performance, and then I thought, oh my God, if I'm a band director, I have to be locked in the room with all those kids at one time. That's not for me. So I dropped music ed, but I'm I'm a band geek. I've never left it. All my best friends are band directors, super band directors, thank God. And anyway, I went off to grad school at Northwestern. I was never going to come back to Texas. I was going to go be a flutist, but um, I ended up coming back and I taught in Midland at the time. Randy Story was there. Um, Charles Nail was over in Odessa. Amazing teachers. Um, Jack Nall was in Abilene, Bobby Brown, Cindy Bullock, and that's how I really learned how to teach. Um, and I also taught 96 students every single week. So I taught everything from kids who couldn't read a whole note, you know, to all state flu players. Then I moved to Abilene, um, was there for three years teaching at the universities, but I also had to teach 60 kids a week just to eat, you know, and uh, and then around that time is when I realized that I was, I mean, I'm a real good flute player. I'm, I'm principal flute of Dallas Opera, but the reason I was put on this planet is to teach flute and to teach people how to, to teach flute because, and it's not about me creating first chair of the universe on the flute, but it's it's creating, showing people that they can be good at something if they take little baby steps and, and work on fundamentals, you know, and it, it, for me, it's changing lives, uh, you know, just like you guys do in, in band directors, like opening up doors, you know, and I, and I, anyway, I went from Abilene, then I went to Stephen F. Austin with John Whitwell, so I, and, and um, Kevin Sedatol, Fred Allen, these are all like my, some of my best friends of my whole life and reasons that I became a, a good flute teacher was not so much from from flute teacher. I mean, I, you know, your flute teachers in college, are, they're what kind of create your artistry, but the band directors that I hung out with um, are the ones that taught me how to teach, and, and, and I've just continued that. I'm still best friends with Cindy Bullock. I'm really good friends with Deborah Hammer, all these people, you know, and every time I have a conversation, I'm like, oh my God, I've got, you know, I'm, that's life-changing. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that. Anyway, I ended up going, when my flute teacher from WT retired, I had been living in Dallas, teaching at TCU, playing in the opera, teaching a million private students, um, and then Miss Turk retired, and WT called me and said, we want you to be the flute teacher, and I was like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I've got my life in Dallas, but I... The Next year, the person that they hired hadn't worked out, and so I, in that interim, I was like, I think I'm supposed to be the flute teacher at WT, even though I never wanted to go back to the panhandle. You know, I was a city girl now, but I believe in that university so much, and I believe in the kind of kids that we kind of get lower income kids. A lot of them have never had a lesson in their life, and they just need information. and And they're they're my kind of they're my my people. So I've been at WT for eight years now. So I have taught in big cities and little towns. I, you know, I teach kids that have never had a lesson in their life when they come to WT. And I, and I teach kids that have had, a, had lessons from birth. But my, my mission in life is kind of to, to help you guys do things and uh, skip some of the, the, setting up bad habits that I learned. And I'm, I'm an expert at bad habits because I did them for so long, you know, um, and I'm grateful for that. So I'm going to start off talking about, um, I'm going to kind of follow along a, a, the handout called Day One, which was for a clinic I did at Midwest, but John's going to um, eventually, is going to drop all these. All my handouts kind of have the same information in a different format. So, because 
things don't change, like the importance of hand position or how you align the head joint. But we're going to, I'm going to, um, we'll talk about how you choose flute players. Cause there are a lot, there are a lot of people that are like, well, if they have a Cupid's bow, they can't play the flute. And that's a bunch of baloney. Cause some of the best flute players in the world play off to the side. You just, so Cupid's bow, it's okay. They're just going to have to form the embouchure off to the side. The only thing that, or they're teeny tiny, it might be hard for them to hold the flute. Well, that might be a reason not to put somebody on it, or you can get a curved head joint flute. The one thing that I found that makes it hard, but not impossible, is if they have an underbite. Like the, their bottom teeth are in front of their top teeth because then it's going to be hard to aim the air down into the flute. But, you know, usually you're not having to try to find people to put on the flute. You're trying to find reasons to put them on a different instrument because everybody wants to play the flute. So if you need to say you have a Cupid's bow, you can't play the flute, then go ahead. But that's not really the truth. Um, there are not a lot of physical reasons why we can't play the flute, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Everything that I'm fixing to talk about, we're at the end of the year, but you're fixing to start beginners again. So, um, but the, every single thing that I am going to talk about is going to affect your middle school band and your high school band. I remember when I was in Nacogdoches, Jim Hagen, one of my favorite people on the planet, burst into my office one day and he was like, Helen, I need help. My flutes are sharp in the third octave. And I was like, well who starts them in sixth grade? He's like, I do. And I was like, well, how do you teach them to put the flute on their face and make a sound? He said, I tell them to kiss home and roll down. I'm like, well, that's why your high school kids play sharp. You know, so everything goes back to sixth grade baby beginner band. And I'm going to start with, well, even before I talk about the flute, um, how you set the chairs up is super important, you know, more important on the flute than any other instrument because we have to have room out to the right so that we're we're not going to mess up our, our playing position because if you mess with your playing position, you're going to mess with the tone and the intonation. So I like to make sure that there's a chair's width between the chairs you know and and that goes from baby beginners until they're professionals I walk in band halls all the time and I see the the chairs next door to each other and that's going to right there cause tone problems intonation problems and problems so give them a good you know when they're beginners give them a big playing field and then and teach them that they always need to demand that and then I'm gonna see if I can, I'm I'm in my sister's office so it's hard to I don't have all my my accoutrement I need but instead of having the chairs sitting straight forward like you would for a clarinet or a saxophone I don't think I'm gonna be able to demonstrate that um you want to turn the chairs to the right so that the kids are sitting on the front left corner. <laughs> you can see I'm moving, but you're going to have to use your imagination. You want them sitting on the front left corner of the chair um, so that they're not able to wrap their right elbow around the back of the chair. You know, they're going to, they need to put their flute in forward in front of the person to their right, if possible. And then the other thing is when you set up their stands, when you eventually get to them, we have a handy banding measuring stick and it's our flute. You want the stand to always be at least one flute's distance away between the body and the, the music stand. And then, um, and because all other instruments are all in the band hall and there'll be like this with the stand in front of their face and they're doing this so you want it flute distance away and then the top of the stand no higher than the top of the shoulders 
Okay, so a lot, if you have those stands up way higher, the flutes are gonna be looking up and you're gonna play sharp. So you start this from the very beginning. When Before they do the use stands, you make sure their chairs are spaced far apart and um, turn to the right so they're sitting on the front left corner of the flute. And if you look at, at videos of professional orchestral players, they almost always have their turn. They'll have their chair turned to the right and they'll be sitting with their back in the back, but you don't want them to do that. Baby beginners, you need to exaggerate the good the good um, behaviors so you start out like that and then just like every other instrument feet flat on the floor shoulders relaxed down away from your ears you know okay but now we're still talking about before you even start um, start teaching them I am I if you only Take one thing away from today, it's going to be this. I think everybody should mark the head joint on the flute. I'm going to show you exactly how to do it. This is not, this is, this is not exactly how, but that's just so you can see how much I pull out my head joint. But what you wanted, it's really critical, the alignment of the head joint. So before you start band, if you can gather up all the flutes, or like now, like if we were not in quarantine, the next time you see your students, you know, if you're lucky, you'll have a good flute teacher that's already done it, but not all of us have flute teachers on staff and not every flute flute teacher is good okay I'm a flute teacher snob but um you want to line up the embouchure hole in a neutral position and and to me that means there are a couple ways of, of saying that one is to align the embouchure hole with the first key just like hole to hole I do a slide variation I do the outside edge of the embouchure hole out lined up with the outside edge of the first key that's a little complicated um, or you can do the center of the embouchure hole with the center of the first open hole um, all of those will get you in about the same place but the important thing you know is that that basically the embouchure hole is aligned with the keys a lot of people roll out too far and then you're going to have all sorts of hand position problems, intonation problems. Um, and, and then there are some people who roll in further than that and that'll be a whole different thing. But so what I do is I get that aligned and if you have a hard time singing, I'm lucky because I can just pick up a flute and go, okay, that's too much out, too in, you know, but, but use a straight edge if you need to. Use a ruler and, and just go with center to center of the embouchure hole to the center of the first key that's nice and easy then pull the head joint out I say for beginners about two millimeters um, it depends on the flute most beginner flutes are, are a 440 so you only need two millimeters but if they're 442 you might need up to four millimeters or up to you know a centimeter don't pull the head joints out further than that and in the beginner year you're not even gonna worry about tuning if if you're teaching well your, your flute players are gonna be sharp that first year because they have to learn to use air first and then they have to learn how to aim it you rather them start out with too much air which is going to make them sharp and then tone it down but don't worry you know don't try the week of your first Christmas concert to then all of a sudden tune them and go down the line and go you're sharp pull out you're flat push in just let them play out of tune for a while but so you want to pull the head right now I'm going to say two millimeters you know just the most important thing the beginner year is that they just know that the head joint has to be pulled out and you can say I don't pull out a whole lot but then red nail polish I'm going to show you how to do this you, you get that head joint aligned embouchure hole lined up with the first key then take your and you've, you've got the head joint pulled out take your handy dandy red nail polish I love red because they can't 
forget about it. They can't miss it. And this will not hurt your flute. And um, so I like to put the head joint facing to the right. It's way easier to mark it this way. And then I just take this nail polish and I mark it. Boop. Boop. And this is how I mark it for my students so that they they don't have a choice to pull it out. It doesn't look like it's lined up, but my eyes are not that good. But so that they, it's already pulled out and you mark it so it's pulled out. You can see there's, there's my mark so I can see how far it's pulled out. Does that make sense? Nod your heads if it does. Yeah. That right there is probably the most important thing you can do to improve your, your flutes from now until high school because now they're going to play the exact same instrument every day. And flute is, is, different from all the other instruments other is like if you put on a, a trumpet mouthpiece and turn it to the left or turn to the right it's still the same instrument saxophone you can turn it to the left or turn the right it's it's gonna be a little different but their head's gonna follow it same with clarinet oboe you know but flute if we turn it just like a millimeter out from what normal then i come up to play and i go oh my god so then i have to go and then the next day I line it up by my eyeballs, but I get it turned in like one or two millimeters and then I bring it up to play normally. Oh my God. So I have to either play or I have to do something with my body. So you want them to play the exact same instrument every day. So line up the head joint, mark it with nail polish. I also, for beginners, mark the, the alignment of the foot joint with nail polish. So the foot joint, the ball of the foot joint, the ball of the rod on the foot joint should align right with the center of the bottom key of the body. Okay, and there are some people who are like, well, my student has little hands, so we roll in. No, no, just put the ball <laughs> of the rod of the foot joint right in the center of the bottom key and don't you know there there there's some things that there's more than one right way and maybe you could tweak that a little bit but don't you know this is how you line up the flute so so then i for beginners i like to give them fewer chances to fail so i would just take my nail polish since i've got it here and mark that so that they do it the same way every day you know as they get older then they can do that on their own but it doesn't hurt you know I have a $30,000 flute and I have red nail polish all over it no problem you know you can scrape it off with your thumbnail whatever then the other thing I do before you've even taught them playing on the head joint or anything I I buy these clarinet and south and saxophone mouthpiece guards um, I buy them in bulk on Amazon. You can get like 40 of them for six bucks, something like that. I just Google on Am or I go on Amazon and do a search for clarinet mouthpiece guards, and and I buy the cheapest packet that I can. And I real I buy them and I give them away like confetti at at um, at Mardi Gras. And what I do then? Okay, so you want to put these on the flute showing them where their left where the flute is going to rest on their left hand so you have to imagine you're a baby sixth grader with little hands and you put your hand on here and you're going okay, the flute needs to rest at the base of the left hand index finger it's going to be on the side of the flute between the first and second keys and down under a little bit i have giant hands so mine is closer to the first key most kids hands are smaller so it's going to be closer to the second key you know in between but closer to the second key the good things are, are is these are sticky so you can take them off and, and move them on uh, move them around then the the right hand this depends on the 
each individual kids have, but you can get them started off. For most flute players, the thumb is going to go under the index finger and up toward the rods a little bit, so you don't get this hitchhiker thumb out there. So under the first finger, up toward the rods, I'm going to take one of my mouthpiece guards and I'm going to put it there. And I always put them horizontally on the flute, not vertically, so that there's a little bit of a playground. So we put that there and that's preparing like for weeks from now when you put the flute all the way together they know where to put their thumb you know and you think about clarinet it's obvious where they're supposed to put their right thumb you put it under the thumb rest same with saxophone flute it can go anywhere and if you have this wandering thumb it's going to affect their tone and their intonation and their technique all sorts of things like that so you've now prepared your flutes and now we're going to talk about making the first sounds i at the um uh, there's a video that the John's going to give you a link to um, that I did a couple years ago for the National Flute Association. They asked me to do one for, for tone and embouchure, but it ended up being 35 minutes because you can't just talk about tone and embouchure. You have to talk about playing position and um, and how you assemble the flute because it makes such a difference on the flute. More, I mean, every instrument makes a difference, but flute makes even more. But okay, the way I like to teach beginner flutes is is I use a version, a variation of the Suzuki method. And what they do is they use a grain of rice, and you can do this. I never ever have done a grain of rice. I just have my students imagine they have a grain of rice. They sit up nice and tall in the front of their chairs, and and they put that grain of rice in the center of their lips, their imaginary grain of rice, and then they use their the tip of their tongue and they pretend they're spitting that grain of rice. So you want to make sure they're sitting with really good posture, keeping their head parallel to the floor and their chin parallel to the floor. Then we're, and you can all do this with me right now. This will be fun. Okay, so sit up nice and tall. You've got that imaginary grain of rice on your lips and we're going to spit the rice off and we're going to do it in this rhythm. Hot dog, hot dog. So it's going to be. Okay, everybody got that going? You might get a little dizzy. Now we're going to practice without moving our head, um, aiming different directions. So we're going to aim down. Your, so, so you pretend that you're sitting at your kitchen table. You can put your hands here. Keeping your head where it grows, we're going to spit that grain of rice onto your plate. Ready, go. Okay, you can do that a lot of times. And as a band director, you need to model that. It's really super fast air, more faster than you're really going to use when you play the flute, but you have to exaggerate it. So now we're going to imagine you're going to spit it on your brother's plate or your sister's plate, and they're sitting across the table from you without moving your head. Ready, go. And you can move, put your arm out and blow at your hand. And watch out, you don't want them to do this, right? Okay, now spit at, over your brother's head at your mother all the way across the kitchen. Ready, go. Now back on your brother's plate. And on your plate. So what we just did was a lot of things without talking about. We took a great big breath. We're sitting with good, good um, posture. Took a great big breath. We used our tongue to start the airstream. We aimed the air low, middle, and high with fast air. And, so, and that's really important. You get all those things without talking about how to use the tongue, how to take a big breath. They're sixth graders. We can, you know, we can't think about that at this point. And then when they are and 
When they're able to do that, then you go in and I'm going to pretend like I'm the teacher and the student. Um, and you're going to move the head joint into place while they're spinning on their, their plate. So I sometimes will have them close their eyes even. It's really important that they keep their chin parallel to the floor because, and that they keep their head where it grows because they're going to want to go like this and come to you. So you, you, I'll put my head on my hand on the top of their head. If you have a roller chair when, and you can roll around and do this, that's really good because if you're standing above them, they're going to look up at you and you want to keep, this is like, I have a song that has several verses, verses. The third verse is chin parallel to the floor and I'll put your whole face in the ceiling, do da, do da, because it's really, really crucial. And from the beginning, if you can teach them, keep their chin pillow for I'll sometimes put bean bags on their head. But anyway, so when I'm going to move the head joint in while they're going, they're still using the tip of their tongue in the opening where they're spitting that lip. And we're fixing to change that. But we do that. And I'm going to move the head joint in while they're spitting. And what I'm looking for, I'm going to put the entire embouchure plate all the way down to the bottom of it in the dent of the chin. And I'm going to put the inside edge of the embouchure hole about where the the colored part of the lip starts. And that, I'm you know, nothing is 100% because we all have different shaped faces and different thicknesses of lips. But in general, about where the red part of the lip starts is where you're going to put the inside edge of the embouchure hole. And then sometimes you'll be like, and they'll be blowing straight at you. So you're going to be tempted to go and take the flute and bring it to the airstream. But I'm going to warn you, don't do that. Oh, I love seeing whoever Jay Zeller is. He's trying it out. Yeah. So I preach this all the time. This You, the flute player, the student needs to bring the air to the flute. So that's why it's crucial that you put the embouchure plate in the dent of their chin all the way down to the bottom of the embouchure plate. Don't roll it up. So inside edge is about where the, the color part of my lip starts. And if I just let my face relax into a neutral position, my lower lip covers a quarter to a third of that embouchure hole. Can you see that? And then So if I roll it up, it's easy to get sound. But you can already tell I'm messing with the tuning of the flute. So So what I do is I move it in and out a few times. And, I, and I'm looking for the natural opening in their lips. I'm pretty symmetrical. So I can see that hole right there, the aperture. And I just aim the embouchure hole for that. And you can see I'm not making an embouchure. I'm, my face is neutral. Here, and I would say, this is my flute face. Without the flute, and it's my flute face with the flute. So I'll, I'll go around the room, I'll move it in and out several times, and then I will have the student help me. So I have them put their hands on like this, like puppy dog ears, so that their hands are facing away from their head, because if they're this way, the students are going to get in the habit of pushing on their face, and pushing is death to the sound. So you just have your students at first just go along for the ride, and you move it in and out while they're... I should have made my sister come in and be my guinea pig, but she's too bossy. So, so they're going, you're looking for that natural opening. And you may have to move it around. 
several times, and then you let them help you, and then you let them find it on their own. And I have found that this, and that sound I'm getting is an A natural. Wait, let me look it up on my tonal energy. I have it written down in, in uh, the day one handout. But, you know, on clarinet, you know exactly what pitch you need those, those clarinets to make on the barrel and mouthpiece. Same thing on the flute. If I do it the easy way by kissing the hole and rolling down or having it rolled in a little bit, I'm going to get an A flat. But... That's a sharp A, and that's what you want baby beginners to sound like, okay? Not. They're going to play out of tune forever, and they'll have no dynamic range. So, um, yeah, and then immediately after I'm, I'm, you know, and you're going to have this. This works for about, I'd say, 80% of the kids. The other kids, you know, it, some of the best flute players I know didn't make a sound right away. One of the best flute players I know didn't make a sound for six months, you know, but don't take the shortcut. You know, just keep having them blow their air, aim on their finger if you need to. They'll eventually get it. And it's that learning how to aim down without moving your head. But after, I get, after we've done that, tonguing in their lip, the next thing I do is I have them point their tongue and scratch the tip so they sensitize it. And then we're going to put the tip on the roof of their mouth. And it depends on mouth shape. I put tongue pretty far back, and I think it's because I have a pretty big overbite. But I tongue about, you know, a quarter an inch or so behind my top teeth. There's that ridge that then goes up. That's where I put the tip of my tongue. Some people tongue right where their teeth meet their gums. But the tip of the tongue on the roof of the mouth, and this is another thing, if you, if you take one more thing away from this, you need them to tongue from the first day. If you have them start by going poo or who, then guess what? You've just created a bad habit that you have to undo. And if they do one class of going, it's going to take you about 600 years to get them to go ta. So you go right from spitting the grain of rice to sensitizing the tip of their tongue so they can feel it. Tip of the tongue on the roof of their mouth. And I, you know, we can talk about vowels and, and placement later. I just say, how do you say taco? And that's a tricky word because I, I teach a lot of students who also speak Spanish and they say taco. And you want to look for that. Ta, because that's going to get the same problem as, as anchor tonguing on the clarinet. So that you want to make sure that they can do ta, ta, and they think of just releasing the airstream with the tongue. But anyway, tongue from day one. Do not delay because that's, that's going to be a hard habit to break. But anyway, for the few students that the Suzuki method isn't working for, then I do, I love to just put the finger in, the hot dog in the bun <laughs> and practice. You, you want to get the lower lip to kind of wrap around. And look at my corners. I'm not going pulling back. That's a naughty no-no on the flute. So the lower lip rolls, curls, rolls forward, wraps around the hot dog. I love that analogy, hot dog in the bun. And the corners are just neutral. So then, you know, there are a lot of, lot of different ideas about how long to stay on the head joint. And I, I used to teach a whole bunch of beginner classes, and I'd take them through the first month or two. And I'm not an advocate of staying on the head joint for a long time. You might start out every day doing a little... 
And you can play some copycat games and you can making sure they're tonguing. Um, put the hand over the end. That's as far as I would go. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of going because the students have not developed an embouchure yet. And they're, you know, so just to hand over the end, that's your lowest note. Maybe, maybe an octave on, you know, and that's it. You know, if you're getting that, if they're tonguing and they're using a lot of air, then I start putting the flute together. And there is a fabulous book, and I it's listed at the end of the day one packet. It's called Flute 101 by Patricia George and, and uh, Phyllis Lauk. Lots of great ideas in there. One big difference is, like, they teach French articulation, which is tongue in the lip, like we were doing with the grain of rice. And I teach tongue, tip of tongue on the roof of the mouth. So if you get that book, most American flute players tongue on the roof of their mouth. But um, you want to make sure that you're really clear which one you're going to do. So in that book, they talk about tonguing in the lips, and I don't do that. But one thing that they do that I love is when you put the flute together, we're going to start off with left-hand notes. B natural is the note you should start on first because it's a balanced note, and it only involves their left hand, thumb, and one. And in that book, they talk about, and there are other people that do this too, starting off with that, and don't put the foot joint on yet. Just hold on to the barrel of the, the flute with your right hand so that they're not having to worry about right hand and left hand. That I think when we throw too much at them and they can't see the instrument like you can on the clarinet, um, we're much more likely to, to end up with lots of bad habits. So we're just going to start. We've been working on the head joint. Now we put the body on, and thankfully you've already pre-marked their head joints, so they're going to play the same flute every day. And you know what? Every now and then I will mismark a head joint, and I'll, I'll be working with a student at band camp, and I'm like, let me see your flute. And I'm like, Oops, I did that wrong, you know, so you can just remark it. But that alignment's crucial. But then right hand holds on the barrel, chin parallel to the floor, embouchure hole face in the ceiling, and you're going to look for that. Again, when you're putting the embouchure hole, when you're putting it into the, placing it on their lower chin, on their chin in the beginning, chin parallel floor, embouchure hole face in the ceiling, entire embouchure plate in contact with the den of the chin, and the embouchure hole lined up with their natural opening. You've got the right placement then. But then, be natural. Then you can really work on that left-hand position, and you want from the beginning to teach them that the left wrist should be bent. So in my song, tap, uh, the verse two is right wrist straight and left wrist bent, doo-dah, and you will see a ton of flute players do the exact opposite, and it has to do with their head joint alignment. So um, you're teaching that you're going to rest, balance the flute at the base of the index finger, and I love to... Um, draw like a smiley face or a star right there you know and if you don't have the handy dandy mouthpiece pads you can put a sticker on the side of their flute so that they line that up with that so it needs to be on the side and under a little bit left wrist bent so that not too much so that it hurts and um so the palms kind of under the flute and then fingers curved up and over the rods and you want to always watch out so that they're not doing this from the beginning. So you start off with B natural and the reason you B natural to me is a non-negotiable. You have to start on B natural in the staff because it's a neutral face. You would not start a trumpet player on B flat above the staff, right? Because that would be crazy. But there are lots of different opinions about this. But I saw this from Trevor Y, one of the greatest flute pedagogues ever to live in England. 
start on Be Natural. It's a neutral face. They should be able to make it with that same face that they did. And again, always be checking to make sure they're tonguing to start the sound. Release the air with the tongue, not but then I would just, then after you do BAG while they're still holding this, you know, and that's going to be a couple weeks down the road. You're doing articulation patterns. I play the new, um, when you get down there and they're really comfortable holding their left hand, then you put the foot joint on. And at this point you can start, start doing some octave slurs. And this is like the secret to playing the flute. I remember years ago, one of my really good friends who is probably the best band director I've ever seen in my life, but a crazy person, but he was a really great trumpet player. And, and uh, I was like three or four years out of grad school and he was a year ahead of me already doing a great job. And he was like, so how do you play low on the flute? And I'm like, well, you aim the air down. And he was like, but how? And I was like, Oh my God, that's right. Like to a trumpet player or any about other instrument, you don't aim your air in different directions. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, uh, maybe my students aren't really clear on this either because I haven't explained it. So the secret to playing the flute is being able to change air direction, you know, and I have, I talk about the three V's, volume, velocity, and vector, and I made that up on the flute, but, um, so you always want fast air. The velocity of the air never really changes. I mean, we could talk about some really tiny things, but fast air all the time, and in the beginning, volume of air, lots of air is better than little air, you know. It's easy to take a flute player that's going and make them into first air all state. It's impossible to take and make them into last chair all region band, you know? Lots of air in the beginning, <laughs> loose face, but but then when you get down to G and F, you can start doing octave slurs, and in my, one of the, maybe the non-negotiables, and a couple of the handouts, I have really simple um, octave slurs that I stole. I think I stole them from Mary Karen Cardi 500 years ago, but, but here's the secret. To play low, your air needs to go more down into the flute, and you do that, by sliding your jaw down and back. You do not ever roll the flute in or out and you don't want to move the head ever for tuning. So if you've been one of those people that's like, flute, you're sharp, roll in. Or you're flat, raise your head. Don't do that anymore. It's all jaw. So your jaw kind of swings on the hinge down and back. And then you use your top lip, which I call the beak. And I stole that, everything I stole except volume, velocity, and vector. Um, my teacher called the top lip the beak, and I love it. And this is why you need to have neutral corners and flexible embouchure, because you need to be able to release the top lip away from the top teeth so that you can aim, especially to aim lower. And at lower and louder, the air needs to go down. So, so, if, so I'm going to do an octave slur. So if you go... If the low G is in your neutral position, everybody just let your face hang and put your fingers on the corners and feel what tooth each of your fingers is on, naturally. And then we're going to slide from, that's your neutral position, ah. Now we're going to slide them forward, ooh, ah, ooh. And I cannot tell you how many college students I've gotten and grad students where I've, like, my warm-up starts out with an octave slur and I say, so what exactly do you, needs to happen to go from the low register to the high register? And like, really good students are like, 
Um, I think something happens inside the mouth and it's like, no, that is not how acoustics work. Maybe advanced like voicing and, and you know, different things, but basically we just need to change the angle. The air goes from here to there. We do it by ah, ooh. When you do that and your jaw, the bigger the interval, the more the jaw comes into play, but I really don't talk about that much, but I'm exaggerating it. And when you do this exercise with your beginners, it's not so important in the beginning how they sound, but how they look. They really need to get that ah. Uh, so it's not. You can tell what's going to happen to the intonation in the third octave, right? So from the get-go, um, the corners go forward, okay? And, and that the same applies if you need to lower the pitch, like for tuning purposes. It's the combination of the jaw and the upper lip that aim the air further down to play lower whether it's a lower pitch intonation or a lower note, lower octave, and if you need it higher. So, you know, to adjust for pitch, you just do a small amount of what you would do. I've been having exercise where you work on tapered releases to learn to play pianissimo by flicking up to the next harmonic. But that's, you know, that's a really big thing. We have, there's a band director I work with quite a bit who is a percussionist, and he's like, no, no, no. It's, I don't feel like it's controlled, so I think the corners need to be tight. And I'm like, well, you know what? You're a percussionist. I'm married to one of the best percussionists in the world. I'm, I do not profess to know anything. Whatever he tells me to do on drums, I'm going to believe him or marimba, you know. But so relaxed. These are your words. Relaxed, neutral, flexible, forward, you know. Let go of the corners. Beak, float, you know. Uh, a, an air cushion between the upper teeth and the top lip. Before I'm, I'm looking at 7:15. I want to talk about um, posture and playing position. And there's so much. Oh my God! And all of this is on that video, and it's in in the the handouts. But. I can't stress enough how important it is that the flute, we're ruined by marching band, right? Um, so in marching band, you need, I don't know why, because you could make everybody look the same and forward. But marching band is pulled back here. That has nothing to do with playing the flute. So the flute needs to be almost halfway to being a trumpet and angled down so that you're not carrying any tension in your shoulders, which radiates up into your neck and into your jaw. And um, Arnold Jacob, one of my favorite quotes is, tension kills tone. So we want to, you know, in your face, you want to get rid of all this tension. Um, and I'm, I'm coming back to posture, but I want to talk also about when you're teaching those beginners or your high school kids, every time they take a breath, look inside their mouth and see where their tongue is because the tongue on the flute should be down like this. Ha. Clarinet and saxophone, you do all sorts of things. E, ah, yeah, and a flute. Ah, okay. So if you see them take a breath and they go, it's like, ah, oh my God, you know, and that's a hard habit to break. And a lot of times it has to do with, with speaking like the ta, ta, ta. If they say their ta, tease like that, then they're going to wad their tongue up. So that's something to watch out for and, and uh, break the habit. We have to have this huge resonating chamber inside our mouth. Ha. Ah. 
and the tongue's down and the soft palate's up. So posture, playing position though. One of the, the best ways, I'm gonna see if I can put my iPad on this music stand so you can see me in the chair. One of the best things I've stolen is, ugh, it won't go lower, um, elbows to knees. <laughs> Let me, come on music stand, cooperate. I have a stand that we stole apparently from SMU years ago for good reason. It was retired and it just lives at my sister's house, where, which is where I'm currently. Okay, this may work. Okay, elbows to knees. This will find the best playing position for every flute player, no matter their size um, or how long their arms are. So I'm going to sit on the front left corner. So I'm going to bring my elbows out all, and y'all can do this with me, all the way to the front of my knees. You gotta make sure that they're not cheating and putting them halfway up on their thighs. Elbows to knees. And then, you're gonna bring the flute into playing position. Left wrist bent, right wrist straight. And that's the other part. We, when I, I didn't even talk about the right, right hand position. Ha, ah, so many things. Thumb is on, it's gonna be on that thing. Underneath the first finger and up toward the rods a little bit. Most flute players' thumbs should all, they should be locked out. Both of them. Left thumb straight, right thumb straight. The only exceptions are double jointed thumbs, which tend to, I have found, work best when they go down there. But normal people shake that right hand out. Um, like you're walking down the street, and then you bring it up like you're holding a giant orange, so it forms this backward C. You slide that thumb in, fingers come up and over the rods perpendicularly, you know, so you've got this flat curve. But anyway, and, and from the knuckles to the elbow needs to be a straight line. Right wrist straight and left wrist bend, dude. So then you come out here, elbows to knees, right wrist straight and left wrist bend, and turn the head to the left. There's your playing position. Then you come up. You can see my flute is forward. It's like, let me do it from this another angle. Whoops, I don't know if you can see that. And it's angled down. If you look at videos of really great flute players, this is what they look like. And then you go from that. And you make sure that your students don't go and turn and face straight ahead again. So that's what you're gonna to have to find the exact right chair placement for each student. And if you have them in a curve, which most bands do, maybe after beginners, um, each chair is gonna be slightly different. But um, this elbows to knees, experiment with it, but make sure that you're really clear in your head that when you come up, that you don't, that they don't then turn around and face straight ahead again. So they should be looking off to the left, but what this does is it gets their whole, their spine is aligned and our head is meant to swivel on the top of our spine, much more so than we're meant to twist our torso, like marching band position makes us do. Just, I'm gonna hold my favorite note, be natural, and I'm gonna go for marching position and listen to the tone and the intonation. Can you hear that? Even over my iPad? Yeah, so it's really important. And you can, I do this all the time. I poke my students with my handy dandy million dollar poking stick. And then while they're playing and they're coming forward, you'll feel this funk where the shoulder muscle just kind of lets go. And that's where the happy place is. 
And what's happening is I'm getting, my body is just hitting this place where the flute starts to resonate and all the um, harmonics start to line up. So while you're doing that, make sure right wrist straight, left wrist bend, doo-dah, doo-dah. So I'm going to sing the whole song. Verse one is, drop your jaw and roll out, doo-dah, doo-dah. That was the only verse for years and years, and it was because I was teaching out in these remote places, way deep east Texas, you know, way out in west Texas, and, and it seemed like most of the problems were the kids had their teeth too close together, and they were rolled in. So I'd be like, drop your giant roll out, dude. Now I just have to say doodah. And it's, of course, more than just dropping your jaw and roll out. You know, you, you have to get the flute down in the damp chin barrel. But then the second verse is right wrist straight and left wrist bent. Doodah, doodah. And the third verse is chin parallel to the floor and almost your whole face in the ceiling. Whoops. Chin parallel to the floor and almost your whole face in the ceiling. Doodah. It's a catchy <laughs> tune, but it really does help, like with beginners and everything, to be able to just kind of go doodah, doodah. But um, let me see. What have I left off to this point? Oh, oh. Okay, I've talked about that. Oh, okay, fingerings for B-flat. This seems to be, and I cover this in every handout, I think, there are three fingerings. There are not one good one and two alternate fingerings. There are not two good fingerings and one alternate fingering. There are three equal fingerings for B-flat, and you need to teach them all. Like, I remember vividly where I was sitting on the stage at the high school in Delhart when my band director taught me some B-flat, and it was like, oh, my God. And it blew my mind, and I couldn't play the flute at all for a, a while because I moved my thumb over there. Okay, so definitely the first first fingering that I teach for B flat is thumb B flat. This one right here, and that's and I teach it when I teach like the F the the tetrachord for the F major scale F G A B flat da 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 because it's the most efficient way to go from A to B flat and B flat to C. You're only moving one finger at a time. The second fingering I teach is lever. This one right here, and this one I didn't learn until I was until I went to band camp at WT my first time after after tenth grade. I used to go up to one of my band directors and say, Hey, Mr. Robertson, what's this key? And he'd go. Oh, that's a trill key. You don't need it. And I would say, well, that is so weird because I memorized all the trill fingerings because I was that nerd. And I don't remember ever seeing that on the trill chart. And then year after year, I'd be like, what's this key for? It's a trill key. You don't need it. Finally, I went to band camp and they taught us lever, which is amazing. And, and I use it equally with B flat, thumb B flat. I use that if there is a flat in the key signature, one, two, three, four, or five flats. Because you're you're not gonna have any B naturals or C flat, so this is the most efficient fingering. I teach lever for the chromatic because you can just look at it and you go, when you go from B to A sharp or B flat, only one key is going up and down. When you do one and one, three keys are going up and down. And especially when you go from A to B flat, you can put the lever on early instead of doing this. You can see that the flute is mechanically working more efficiently and my hands are working more efficiently. One and one though is not to be like, I have like some of my students take me just so to heart. They're like, I never teach one and one. I'm like, well then you're screwing your students because we need one and one. And it's when you have a pattern that has B natural, B flat, and a right hand note like F. F, B flat, B natural. If you use lever, then you have to go F, 
B flat, and that's not good. If you use some B flat, you'd have to roll F, B flat, B natural, and that's not good. That's against the law. Rolling your thumb in a chromatic passage. Rolling your thumb if you have a few notes in between is bueno. Good. Go for it, you know, but it's, but so you do need to teach all three fingerings. I teach some B flat first, I teach lever second, and I teach one and one third, and I teach them why and how. It's all about context. I have had so many band directors that have told me I'm not allowed to teach the three fingering to B flat because it's too confusing. I'm like, do you think they're dumber than clarinet players? You know, because clarinet players have all sorts of, <laughs> you know, and it's, I have never come across, and I have had students of all IQ levels. I have never had one that could not understand why and when to use all three fingerings for B flat. Some of them, it may have taken longer, but yeah, so those, that, that, those are your friends, you know, and then other bad habits. If you're a clarinetist or, or a saxophone especially, don't teach your students that they can leave their first finger down on middle D and E flat. That is a naughty, naughty, no, no, terrible. And don't teach them middle finger F sharp ever. They don't need to know it unless they're doing E to F sharp. Yes, it's way harder if you're playing Mozart to do this. Guess what? Go home and practice. I'm the least coordinated person on the planet, but I practiced that and I can do it, you know? And it's a much better, like all these, if you leave your first finger down on the D and E flat, you sound like every middle school flute player in the state of Texas, practically. <laughs> Except the ones whose band directors insist, you know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's you're cracking, you're getting a multiphonic. Um, saying the F sharp is just a flat, dull tone. You know, same thing, E natural, here's another one. E naturals must have the pinky on. So it's kind of awkward if you're playing in like sharps and you're going from D to E natural. Seems like too much work, so a lot of flute players will just leave their pinky up. Every other note is fine, but E natural is terrible with the pinky up, so you wanna make sure you have that down. Um, and then I have one more rant, <laughs> and it is this. Um, uh, you know, almost, there are so many people that use the Essential Elements book, and I am sure it's great, but there is an exercise that I have students come in all the time, and I, th I wish flute play, please do away with this substitute, just doing octave slurs, but it's this one. And I'm going to demonstrate it the way most kids in high school do it. to do it correctly but it's not usually done correctly in large group settings so instead of doing that you know um, if you have a killer flute teacher and they want to do it and really make sure that they're leading with their air and following their lips and they're going from neutral and going forward so that the airstream is going from down to more across when they go from low to high then maybe do it but you would be much better off having them just in slow motion do going to end up with with some other funky habits. Just nice, slow, octave slurs, really reinforcing that the air, and this is a really important thing, and I, uh, point, I haven't made it yet, but on flute, like every other instrument, air is what's important. We focus on teaching embouchure, but you teach the airstream, and then let the body form around it, you know, so if you're like... I can tell you that's I mean, I can look at you and tell you if you're gonna make a good sound, you know. It's 99% air and then 
1% just letting the body shape the airstream and guide it so I'm hardly doing anything with my lip muscles I've got my jaw in the right place but I have this really good free airstream so it's not you know like you're about to play trumpet badly you know, and, and um, you can do a lot of this blowing the head away to get that sensation of freedom of airstream. But yeah, so I would, if I could get rid of that one exercise in band halls, I would be a, you know, you're going to be happier if you can just substitute it by having them do long tones or slow octave slurs where they're really thinking about the airstream connecting the notes and air going from a low angle to a high angle with the jaw and the, the lips working in concert. That's going to do you more good, you know, and it's okay if they put some air in their cheeks and you know not every flute player's cheeks vibrate when they use vibrato but it's okay if they do mine do depends on how big the vibrato is and what I'm in and what dynamic but okay I know I've just jabbered on forever are there any questions all right folks I'm gonna open up the chat you can drop a question in we'll let Ms. Ms. Blackburn answer a question or two in here are y'all okay if we go over 730 by a couple minutes is that okay and know that like I love band directors and I love talking about flute and just going here's what you need to know it's not that hard so um, how do you keep your flute from passing out when do you teach about what's your oh um, uh, okay uh, you can always call me or email me I John can share my, all of my contact information with you okay so um, BAG for heterogeneous for mixed classes yeah, I mean, I, whatever you have to do, I would, if you're in a mixed class, you still have to figure out a way. One, one of my old students, we were supposed to do a clinic at TBA this summer. I don't think that's going to happen. But I have walked into, ooh, my earring just fell out. I have walked into her bassoon and oboe class, and they're playing the same fingerings but different notes. you got to play what is the best for the instrument that you're teaching. So, it, you know, do not start on G. I started in fifth grade on... No wonder I played with a tight embouchure. I wasn't allowed to form an embouchure and then learn how to get up there. And I remember the day that I figured out, because there for a while I was like, well, I blew and a high note came out. Now I blew and a low note came out. But yeah, B-A-G, I don't know if, if the question is, should, is that what you should do? Yes. Figure it out. Even if they're playing different notes um, than the, uh, the rest of the class, that's okay. Start, start there. How do you keep your flutes from passing out? Just tell them to take a break when they need to. It's, 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 it is a problem. That, that means they're doing good air. They'll eventually get where they can control the air, you know, do short bursts. And uh, just tell them if they're getting dizzy, do elbows to knees and then come back. <laughs> come back. When do I teach vibrato? Um, I learned um, with the breath impulse method because we were part of this um, when we learned the um, Eastman counting system it was uh, Harry Haynes and J.R. McIntyre working on that that book um, and so we did Eastman counting system and we did breath impulse so we started pulsing from the get-go and I really am an advocate of that for flutes you can do whatever else you want with the other instruments I've, I grew up with it and I know it didn't mess up any instruments that don't use vibrato but then we went right from that 
I was able to play vibrato. Um, in my super duper Zen Yoga warm-ups, there are several there are pages about vibrato, and there's one exercise that um, they start out pulsing an ethos. And then they go to triplets and sixteens, and you just have to be the judge when you know when they are able to play a little and hold a note, you know, um, you can start it as, the sooner you start the better, but don't start, you know, the way I was taught was our band director came in in seventh grade and said, okay, Flutes, you're in seventh grade now, it's time to learn vibrato, we'll have a chair test on that on Monday, and we all kind of looked at each other like, what did he say, bravado? And, and we're like, what? And he's like, you know, it's that, that's shaking in the sound, the high school players do it, and I swear, I came back and I went, and I was better at that than anybody else. Um, and so I got first here. But like right away I figured out that wasn't the way. I just, I kind of took myself backwards and, and went from breath impulse. So I would, if whether you teach breath impulse or not, start having them pulse in eighth notes pretty soon. The sooner you do it, the better their tone is going to be. Um, and then you can go from there to pulsing in triplets. So then you're going to get to teach triplets and then 16ths. And then, you know, they can stay just pulsing in 16ths for, for sixth grade. And then you can go on from there, you know, and, and have some good demos. If you don't have teachers that can demonstrate it, millions of, of videos online that, that, um, that teach vibrato. And, and then I, that makes me want to talk about thumb, uh, double tonguing. I am an advocate of teaching double tongue the first year early, like maybe around Christmas or shortly after that. I have a double tongue exercise in there that Gary Garner invented. Just teach the first line, ta-ta-ta, so you set up this um, model, ta-ta-ta, and then you do the same rhythm with ka, and when they do ka, the air is going to want to go forward, so you have to really make sure that they're using fast air and using that jaw and that live on uh, combination to aim the air down. And then start with a K, kata kata ka, and then taka taka ta. And I, that's the syllable I say, ta 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 ka ka ka. You can experiment with different vowels and does and goes. That's what I say in my head when I do that exercise, ta ta ta. If you teach double tongue and and that pulsing vibrato, you know, baby vibrato, the tone is going to be better. Double tonguing will make them use more fast air, and it's also fun, you know, if they can start showing off. So they'll go home and practice. More so, okay. What is your opinion on putting stickers on the keys for fing for finger rings or just to find where the fingers go? Um, I'm gonna, I you know, if they need it, like if they're playing, if they're playing on an open hole flute, which is what I recommend you start off with, is a beginner open hole model because it's like clarinets, they don't have the option of a plateau model, and most everybody can hold can cover them. You can put a plug in the ring fingers, but having the open holes will make them have better hand position. But if, like, in the beginning, I've had a few students where we've put a sticker here, and if they didn't have an open hole, put a sticker there so they know where. There aren't a lot of places that you need to stick the stickers, you know? And that's just stuff that you can, you just make sure that you're not just telling them what to do, but you're teaching them what to do in class, you know? It's like, you don't tell, I'll, I have so many teachers that are like, I told her, her to move her thumb. It's like, yeah, but did you nag her? Because there's a difference between giving the information once and insisting. And I have this look, like I'm my students, you know, when, when we're at band camp and these are kids I've never seen, the first day we talk about, we set their, check their alignment, I mark it, we 
fix their playing position, we fix their hand position, and then I just do this glare at them and stare at the right hand, and they go like, you know, and after a thousand times of doing that and not ridiculing them, it'd be like, right hand position, thumb under the, you know, right hand position, then they, they start doing it. So whatever it takes, um, uh, you know, you have to make sure that you're, using a teaching tool, not a crutch, you know? Um, so if, if I, I've never really had any, but like sometimes it's just hard for them to understand that they press that key and then they skip one, but there aren't a lot of reasons for having the stickers, especially if they have open hole. Um, what's the best way to teach vibrato? I think, I mean, for a beginner, I have a million different vibrato exercises, but for beginners, the way I teach it, is doing that eighth note pulse. And even though we know it's a scientifically proven fact, vibrato is produced in the throat on the flute, and I was part of this this study back in 1985. They ran a laparoscopic camera up my nose and then hung it down in my throat and I played with vibrato and they took videos and it was the most amazing thing because I could see my vocal cords flapping they played it in slow motion like a butterfly yeah, yeah. so we know it happens there but it needs to, the setup needs to happen down here so um, I'm a big fan of gut puffs so you're going there are people that teach to go eh 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 in the throat I don't do that I do you know, and then pulse. And I would just spend, you know, however long it takes, a couple weeks, month, pulsing in eighth notes. Then when everybody's pretty good at that, um, then switch to triplets. When they're pretty good at that, switch to sixteenths. The trick is to don't go too fast too soon because it will eventually move up to their throat. And you don't even really have to talk about it. like when you go from quarter note at triplets. I can still pulse in my stomach, but when I move to 16s, it kind of floats up to the throat. And what I say is like the 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 foundation has to come from down in the gut, you know. And speaking of that, one more thing: never say push on the flute. I, you know, I've, I've had you know, or support. Support. What the heck does that mean? Just say, take a big breath and blow more air, more fast air, more fast air, and you make sure that they make the connection that fast air comes from the source down in your lungs. It is not. It doesn't come from squeezing your you know, smiling or lifting your tongue up or pinching in your throat, you know, so, um, did that answer that vibrato question? Pulsing in eighth notes, pulsing in triplets, pulsing in, in sixteenths. Any other questions? Oh, there's a mountain. <laughs> oh, I need to scroll. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I start curling the flute towards me when playing higher notes. Is this bad? Yes. Only if you want to, you know, you do that if you want to play with a really thin sound. So, um, drop your jaw, let go of your corner. So, if, so that's again, that comes into, like, you should never move your flute and never move your head. So, as you go up, instead, let your jaw hang and it's going to go down and back and you reach forward with your top lip. I'm going to just finger out a C and over lip or a high D. Because you want to keep this lovely 90 degree angle that you get if your chin is parallel to the floor and the embouchure hole is facing the ceiling. I'm talking about the angle between your head and the embouchure hole. If you start rolling in, 
you're bringing the flute to the airstream instead of bringing the airstream to the flute and it's never good to, to change that angle so you're gonna have to work harder in the beginning but yeah experiment and that, that's just kind of one of those it's a quick fix but you're not it's not a good result so yes it is bad don't don't curl the flute in when you switch a flute player to a different instrument when if they can't get a sound for too long um, well, one of my best friends and former student, Ebony Thomas, couldn't get a sound for six months, and, and she was just um, in the finals for Associate Principal Flute of Chicago. So, it depends. I had a student in Abilene when I taught there who didn't get a sound, like, for four months, but we just kept learning fingerings, and, and, uh, and then one day it just popped, you know? So, I... I'm not, a, I never have ever had to do that. Of course, I'm working one-on-one -on -one and all I do is play the flute all day long, every day, you know, so I know what to look for. If, you know, if they start getting frustrated and you want to have that conversation with them, maybe they are set up better to play the clarinet or something, but if they still have, a, you know, a passion for it and they want to do it, let them keep doing it, you know. They'll, they'll get it one day, you know. Um, yeah. What do you look for in flute players when you are trialing instruments for beginners? I talked about this in the beginning. I I look for brains on any instrument, right? That's the most important thing and attitude. You know, but basically you want them to be able to put their finger in the dent in their chin. If ideally when they spit that grain of rice like we were doing with the Suzuki method, there should be a fairly symmetrical whole instead of you know, people will do that because they have a preconceived idea of how the flute should be played so I can fix that, but if they naturally get that it's going to be a little bit easier in the beginning the only thing I like think that doesn't work well is if they have an underbite, you know, if they have a huge cupid's bow that may make it harder, but I've always just, you know, if they have a cupid's bow, their opening's going to be to the left or to the right, and I just find that opening. But, um, so if you're trying to rule some people out and put them on another instrument, you can make up anything you want, you know, like, oh, you can't play the flute because you have blonde hair, you know, but, um, there, if, there are not a lot of physical reasons that I have found, um, but you can, if you need excuses, make up whatever you want. What would be the ideally playing position for marching band flutes? That would be the exact same, can I move that chat over there, as it is for playing the flute. It would be like this, forward and up. You know, um, because then you're going to transfer, uh, you're going to go from marching band to concert band and your flutes are going to be good. If they spend several months to then you spend several months undoing that damage. So if I were a, a high school band director that had to march, I would just defy all of the, you know, the standard that the flute has to be perpendicular and, and out to the right. And I just wouldn't do it. I would just say, nope, I'm not doing it to my flutes. You know, it is impossible to play the flute correctly in that marching band position. So forward and down in that elbows to knees position is, is the ideal. Um, and you know, like every other instrument, a saxophone is not held up here and they don't get counted off or they're, they're held, you know. So I'm, I'm more for what, what is the best way to play, not the best look. So if you can't do that, then give them a silver stick. And not a flute, you know, so they're, they're not, <laughs> not playing, not associating marching band with how to play the flute. So can you talk about dynamics a little Let's bit? I struggle. more questions. Okay. Um, I struggle a little bit with crescendos and decrescendos and playing softly. Dynamics are exactly the same as 
Um, if you, you want to play louder, the air needs to go lower. Or if you, as you add more air, the air has to go down more to adjust for pitch. So if you want to go flatter, you use your jaw and your upper lip to aim the air lower. To go sharper, you slide the flute, your jaw, sorry, the jaw and your lips forward so that the air, the fast air is going across. Um, Numa Pro, I, I, I don't go crazy. I love Numa Pros, but I, I use my fingers as much. And I don't cra go crazy doing exercises away from the flute. It's a good tool for if, if the flutists are having a hard time getting fast air and, and aiming. Do you ever teach beginners how to play? I don't teach, well, I teach my beginners to play standing, but, but I teach privately. Best way to teach, uh, Michelle Hartzer, oh my God, from Pampa, Texas. Um... Where will you share the handouts? He's going to put them... After the Q&A, I'll post them in the chat. Yeah, and um, Claire knows here, learn to... Okay, oh, yay. Hi. Fingerings on the right hand because they can't see what their fingerings are doing. Um, okay. I, I, you can have them bring it down here and hold it in front of them like they're playing the clarinet, you know, and just do this. And then transfer it up here. Make Again, making sure that their flute is forward and down. And their thumb is in the right place underneath the first finger you know and some people will go as far over as under the middle under the first down here for double jointed often but um you know they need, let them look at it and then bring it up and, and do it and have a mirror um okay if you have any more questions that i didn't answer call me or text me or hit me on facebook you know sometimes you have to nag me a little bit but um <laughs> But I love talking about flute, and if I confused you in any way, make sure you get in touch with me. But I can just tell you, I'm, I'm about to turn 60, and all I have done my whole entire life is teach massive amounts of flute players, not just the good ones, you know. I love teaching bad ones, and because I can make them better, you know. So, I, like, these things that I'm talking about, they, they really make a big difference. Posture makes a difference. Like, so, the way you put your chair, the, the, the music stand height, all of that, the distance between you and the music stand and all of this is covered in those handouts one way or the other and every now and then I'm like you can see like 30 years ago I said one thing and now I might have changed a little bit where the right thumb goes but it's all still the same basic information so um thanks everybody and yeah can we give a huge fun. hand for Helen hasn't she been fabulous this is oh oh man this is absolutely phenomenal I I'm I'm already, I've been a fan, I'm a bigger fan, love her to death. So thank you so much, Helen. Uh, You're welcome. I want to make one more point. Again, these are not quick fixes. Like, uh, oh, oh my God, I didn't talk go about Go for this it, one. go for we it. Have to talk about. Pulling out the head joint. I, all the time, will get high school kids who come and their head joints are pulled out like half an inch. And their band directors told them to do it because they went down the line and did like, they're like, sharp left. What you're doing there is setting yourself up for failure because the entire scale of the instrument has changed drastically. And what I mean by that, the left hand notes, because of the way acoustics work, it's a shorter tube, they are going to be way flatter than the right notes. And the way I can demonstrate that is I'm going to finger low C. So all my keys down, low C and C sharp key, and I'm going to overblow it to the first partial. So I'm going to play... And then we compare it, compare it to middle to the regular fingering, which is just my left hand, and you can see the difference between the long tube. You can hear it. What? Right, 
and you can also overblow it to the G. So if I'm playing a scale, I'm gonna have to go. Because the left hand notes are gonna be super, super, super flat, and the right hand notes will be super, super, super sharp. Same thing if you push in all the way. The left hand notes are gonna be way sharper compared to the right hand notes. So that's why, if you can get a flute player to help you um, find the, the spot where those C's are in tune. But you have to make sure that you're playing with a good embouchure, good airstream, and your chin is parallel to the floor, and the embouchure holds face in the ceiling, or else you're gonna. But that's a really big deal. Do not pull the head joints out half an inch. I would say no more than a centimeter. If you have to pull out more than a centimeter, look within. The problem is not the instrument. The problem is the player. You know, so it's not a quick fix. They're too tight, probably, and blowing too far across the hole. So, okay, sorry, I've kept. No, you're. I'm ready to go teach flute tomorrow, and I, I teach only Brad. This is fabulous. It's so. easy. Playing the flute is so much easier when you get uh, over the thought that it's about the embouchure. It's about the airstream, and then just shape, letting your body form around it and knowing the basic principles of acoustics of the instrument, of changing the direction of the air, not changing the direction of the instrument or your head. Head stays where it grows. Flute stays like that. Embouchure, whole face in the ceiling, chin pedal the floor. So, sing the song and <laughs> let me know if you have any problems. Send it, you know, I can teach on video now. If you like what you heard, subscribe and check out our website, virtualbanddirectorconference.com. Thanks for joining us and remember, there's no stealing in band when you give with an open hand.